Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we discuss topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are going to get insight into what emerging technologies and incubation is doing and driving for Cisco, how it accelerates innovation to fuel growth in core and new markets, and specifically, we are going to get into the details of one of the newest launches around API security. To help us guide the conversation, we have Cisco champions Mark, Matias, Zoe, and Shai, and our Cisco expert, Justin Cohen. So hang with us, folks, for the next half hour or so as we talk about emerging technology. All right, let's get to know our amazing cast. Justin, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and your role here at Cisco? Thanks, Amy Lee. Great to be here with the rest of the champions today. Uh, my name is Justin Cohen, and I am an innovation architect in the Cisco Toronto Innovation Labs. And I'm located in Toronto, and I'm part of a global team of engineers that work on various projects and programs here with ETNI. Sounds interesting. You might have a better job than I do. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but it, it's, it's pretty fun over here. I get to work with here. champions. All right. Mark, welcome. Who are you? What do you do? My name is Mark Lüscher. I'm working for Fresenius Medical Care in the Boston area. We are in the healthcare business. My role is I'm in network security. I'm owning areas like Seam, SOAR, network firewalls, WAF, and areas around that. Awesome. Matthias, always a pleasure to have you. Tell us about yourself. Great to be here again. Thank you for having me, Emily. Uh, my name is Matthias Prokop. I am the principal architect in Natalik, uh, based in London, company headquartered in London, offices in Sydney and New York. Uh, my responsibility is mainly around our strategy uh, in the DevOps and the data center area. Great. Shy. Good day, sir. <laughs> Why are you here? Uh, so I'm Shai Silverman. I'm the director of network services for San Jose State University. Uh, my team and I manage many things that moves ones and zeros to various places, whether it's on campus, on campus, to the cloud, and et cetera. And it's great to be here, Justin. Zoe, always lovely to have you. Tell us about who you are. <laughs> See, I use lovely a lot, so I'm just going to keep repeating that. Sorry. Um, that's where I got it from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try not to just say it over and over again. Okay. Uh, my name is Zoe Rose. I work for Canon EMEA as a very long title that's boring, but um, regional and supplier information security lead. Essentially, I work with the smaller offices in the region. So in EMEA um, and I handle chatting about all things security and hoping I can help people you know be secure essentially. <laughs> all right Justin um, before we get into our discussion around API security can you give us an overview of what emerging technologies and incubation does? Wow that's a big question. Um, you know I want to distill it down and make it easy for everybody to understand what emerging technology and incubation is. So Emerging Technology, or ETNI is a group that was started not that long ago within Cisco. And the idea was ETNI really is trying to build the startup culture within Cisco. We're trying to run this whole startup style thing where 
we try new things, we're really bold about new ideas, and we look at new markets, even stuff that Cisco has never gone near before, or emerging markets that Cisco is working on. So if you want to think about a place at Cisco where we're trying new stuff that's totally outside of our comfort zone, ETNI is definitely one of those things. So we run a lot of incubation programs, uh, venture programs. Um, if people have ideas at Cisco, they can bring them to us to help incubate them and grow them. And, and we do that's what we do every single day. So we could have an entire uh, uh, podcast talking about just the ideation programs and, and those types of things here at ETNI. So uh, we'll, we'll have to do that because we could literally go on and on about how we do that kind of stuff. So, uh, I mean, I know we're talking about a lot of different uh, topics here, but I think today we're talking more specifically about the Clarity API. It, yeah, API Clarity. So API Clarity is a open source project that we launched not that long ago um, with the purpose of working on uh, more of the security and understanding of what goes on inside service meshes. And we'll get into, so I'm sure you'll have some technical questions about how that works. Um, but it is an open source project that we've launched. It's on, on GitHub and it's uh, apiclarity.io is the website for it. And the idea is to bring visibility uh, to microservice APIs in a service mesh. We're talking about API service mesh on cloud size. We're talking about trying to manage and observe something that can ex expand and extend to thousands of APIs and thousands of containers? Yeah, so if you look at you know, typical monolithic applications today, if you want to see what's going on between them, there's you know tried and true tools we have for doing that. You can packet capture. Uh, you can use tools like Wireshark to look at what's going on in the network and analyze those applications at the network layer. The ability to do that gets a little more difficult when stuff is talking in a service mesh in a cloud somewhere in a data center that you don't necessarily have physical control of. So we want to give you the same ability to look at what's going on between these applications. So we created this open source project specifically to allow you to see what's going on between those applications. And from a security perspective, the best way to know what's going on between those applications is to know, is it doing what you expect? So we have the ability for you to track how the API is being used and then call out when it's not being used the way you expect. Obviously, I'm not a developer. Um, from a security perspective, uh, so apologies if it's a silly question, but is there, from my perspective, if I want to implement this, um, or if I want, obviously, the de development team to implement it, would it be something that I could say, you know, you can put this in place in your development or testing environment to create an ex expectation template like this is what it should do this is what we want it to do and then roll it out to production to say this is acting the way it's expecting to act or you know the, not just because I think the biggest challenge I've seen is actually having documentation and having things actually written down of what the expectation is does that make sense what was the d word you use Zoe I also call knowledge management, you know, oh. documentation, knowledge management. Maybe you know one of those words. <laughs> so when we talk about use cases, I think that when we built it, we had a bunch of use cases in mind. And definitely security was one of them. Uh, the development process was another one. Um, how applications are being used was another one. But what we're really trying to do and the reason why we open sourced it is we want people to figure out what they could use it for. 
-hmm. right? Maybe, maybe it's because you want to analyze the way two applications that you didn't write are talking between each other and how that API is communicating inside that service mesh. Or maybe it's because you want to secure something and make sure that um, APIs aren't being abused between components of your microservices. So the answer to all of those questions is yes, we don't really know how customers want to use this yet. And that's why we're throwing it out there for them to try. Okay, so theoretically then, um, I could either come with an expectation or I'm not quite sure how that would be structured, but this is what I'm expecting, kind of like creating a template almost um, and Im importing it, or I can also have it learn kind of. Is that yeah, so the, the way it works for your API is there there's something called the Open API Specification. And that is a specification that you can provide that says, this is how my API works. This is how I expect it to be used. And you can upload that specification into API Clarity, and then it will use that specification and compare it to everything going on. And if it sees differences, it's going to call that out. But the problem is, is that many people have applications they've written over a period of time and APIs that have grown organically within their org. So they don't have a specification and writing it from scratch might be difficult. So we give you the ability to reconstruct the specification from scratch. So we watch the traffic and then we learn over time how it's being used. And then we allow you to look at it and say, yes, this is all correct. These are being used properly. Then you can save it. And then we allow you to save that specification. So you don't have to upload a spec, you can, but we hear from a lot of customers that they don't necessarily have one that's that well-defined. So my question is, so based on what you said, it's open API pretty much means specified, defined. What about uh, depreciated APIs and undocumented APIs? How would you detect them? Yeah, so that's part of the reason why people like the tool set because if you're using um, what we call zombie APIs or something that's been deprecated, right? We would call that a zombie API. And we actually show that in the latest version of API Clarity, we have an actual icon that shows up in the diff panel that says someone's using something that's not even in the specification. So they're using something out of spec and we call it a little zombie API. So yeah, we're specifically out there looking for that kind of stuff. Because if you have a developer that's using an API that you've, de you've deprecated, and you're saying, hey, look, in the next version, we're removing this. Please stop using it. Now you can catch them and say, hey, look, we told you to stop using that. Go and fix this code instead of just yanking it out and then everything breaking. Boa, thank you, Justin. I just got my Halloween costume. I'm going to be a zombie API. There we go. <laughs> um, I, I had another question. Is it, um, I like integration um, <laughs> because I've got lots of tools, but when they all do things separately, it it's a little bit of a nightmare. Um, is there a functionality to have the output come into something like some sort of log server or seam or anything like that? Uh, today, no. Uh, definitely, there, there, we don't have that capability in there today. All of the data is output into a database that's running inside a microservice. So you could definitely pull the data out of there if you wanted to. Today, we, we're not outputting that log data anywhere yet. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's uh, something that's coming or not. The good news is it is an open source project. So I would say to everybody that if there's a feature that you, you would like to see in it, feel free to go to GitHub, 
f- file as a feature request. I, I mean, that the team is looking at those feature requests. Um, and then if it's something that you feel like you could add to the project, again, it is an open source project. Feel free to, to add code or write stuff in there if, if you want. But um, that's why we're doing this is we want to hear from customers what they want. I wanted to kind of add, I guess, I mean, Zoe, you, you asked about the output, so let's kind of focus a little bit about the input, right? So can you talk, Justin, a little bit about the data acquisition and how it scales when you have just thousands of microservices? Yeah, it's pretty easy to deploy it. So first of all, understand that we're not touching any of the microservice containers that have your APIs running in them. So we're not touching any of them. We're not changing them. Uh, the way Istio works today, and we run on top of Istio to be to be clear. So that's the microservice, that we're, or sorry, that's the service mesh that we're working with today. What we're doing is we're putting a tool, a filter into the Envoy proxy that's running on each node. So the Envoy proxy is what Istio D is orchestrating, right, for the service mesh. So we put uh, um, a filter in the Envoy proxy that says. All of these API calls, I want you to forward copies of all of them to the OpenAPI spec engine, um, the API Clarity spec engine for analytics, right? So think of it as like PCAP, remember for the old way of doing it, think of it like PCAP in a service mesh and we're pulling it at each node and then sending it over to the API Clarity engine for analysis. Another question for you, Justin. You mentioned that the tool currently can do capturing. Are there any thoughts about playback as well? Uh, not really today. Uh, it, so the event engine does show uh, in the event panel, there is a chronological view of what's going on in the back and forth, but we don't do any specific playback today uh, or any of the um, like the back and forth die, and I apologize, I forget the name of those things, the back and forth diagrams where, you know, that with the arrows, we don't do any of that playback type of stuff today. That would be cool though. We do some of that stuff today with some of our other toolkits, right? Like things like app dynamics and stuff like that do that in the more monolithic world, uh, but not in here, but that's a good idea. Okay. Thank you. We talked a lot about it, um, you know, um, kind of monitoring things is a use case. It- it sounds like, and I think you've already said this potentially, but is a future use case possible um, where it does also blocking or is it just, is it the aim of it to be quite, you know, just monitor, passive monitoring, or is there going to be a future where they'll be a bit more active, like this is unexpected and therefore I will stop it from happening? Yeah, definitely not taking any active uh, actions today, right? Uh, so we're receiving the messages from the service mesh, um, analyzing them, putting them in the event log, doing the re- recreation, but definitely not doing taking any active action today. Um, that would be that would be interesting down the road for sure to you know look at that. I'm not sure how that would work. That would be a little more complex than the stuff we're doing today. Uh, but I think uh, it's a good idea. That's for sure. Yeah. So so what I wanted to ask was the question about the service mesh. So. Essentially, what you're saying, the requirement to be able to monitor the APIs is that the application needs to be part of the uh, part of the service mesh. Are there any intentions to look at the other service meshes as well? Because if I'm being right, there is this service me- service mesh uh, which Cisco is uh, will is using or will be using, I think, uh, as a part of the inter side deployment. Uh, 
I'm not sure like what is it called now. I think the, the, the Cisco is using some tool for managing the service mesh. So are there any intentions to look at the other service meshes as well? At this time, we're focused on the on the Istio injection, being that that's that's the most popular one that sort of you know we run into, um, and that's the one we're focused on. the The filter that we use today is very specific to that architecture, uh, so that's the one that we're using right now. Now that being that being said, though, if you look at the architecture of API Clarity and how it functions, there is nothing saying that you couldn't write another filter for another service mesh and have that data sent to API Clarity for analytics. Because if you look at the code base and like it's set, it's written in such a way you could do that. Uh, but today, yeah, it's an Istio only uh, implementation. And in terms of the orchestrators, uh, you are only supporting Kubernetes or are you looking, you know, is there any sort of a tested environment with uh, something else than, uh, than, than a Kubernetes? Right now the project's focused on Kubernetes. This is so exciting. I mean, because microservices, I mean, has been such a black hole, I think, because of volume and, and the constant deployment. So, I mean, you really are giving the developers a proper use tool for the first time that as they're rolling out to be able to really see post-production rollout, really if the behavior is as expected, not waiting for customers to, uh, to find the issue. Yeah, and at the same time, I think that for the more traditional security and network folks too, we want to make them feel comfortable that they can see what's going on inside these applications. Um, definitely for me coming from that background, it's nice to be able to see what's going on in here in the similar way that we used to be able to see that network traffic before. And the way I explain it to people too, is I say, you don't have to change your mentality here, right? Just, just upstack your whole thinking and, and think the same way you've been thinking, just move up the stack and keep thinking the same way. And you'll totally, you'll totally understand what's going on. Uh, Kubernetes is definitely doesn't need to be this black hole that it used to be. Uh, and we're trying to figure out exactly how people are going to use this and where it could be useful. And that's why, that's why we released it the way it did. Um, and, and I'll address that actually, that question just, uh, about, about open source and why it's an open source project. Cause we get this question a lot is why are we open sourcing it? Um, ET and I, as an org, we are like a startup culture place, right? It's what we're doing. It's this startup culture. And if you look at a lot of startups, they start as open source projects. That's a very common thing. So what we're looking for is a couple of things. We want an awareness for Cisco in the community that we are an application security player and we're getting into that application security space. And this is one of the ways that we're doing it. We really believe in the tech and we want to see it succeed. We don't want it to be proprietary. We want it to help everybody, including us. So we've released it in this way to sort of say, hey, look, we're, we're serious about application security. We've created this thing that we want to see succeed. So we're going to release it. Um, and, you know, we're we're going to add additional services over time to this and, and possibly an enterprise-ish type version. Um, we're just doing this like a normal open source first type startup. So that's that's why we're doing it this way. So, so kind of adding to that, it's like this is why we're focusing here on real-time analytics and we're not really adding to this at this point, uh, sending it to a big data warehouse, running AI ML on it, uh, because that requires, a, a, an, I guess, an enterprise backend infrastructure at this point. Yeah, there's no AI going on for sure, right? So right now, this is a specification-based analytics engine, right? We look at the spec, we compare it to what we see. Um, definitely no uh, inferencing going on right now. And so rolling it out wise, um, if I were, you know, 
maybe I'm I want to roll it out in my environment is this something that's quite complex quite simple it sounds like it's quite simple um, but I've not actually looked at it uh, very simple uh, there's I actually posted a video uh, in our tech blog at Cisco so if you go to tech blogs from Cisco there is a video there that I posted with a walkthrough of how to deploy it quite easily I would say anybody with basic Kubernetes skills uh, could deploy it very, very quickly and easily. It's not a super complex tool to deploy. Uh, and I, I've provided a walkthrough on how to do it. So yeah, definitely go ahead and try it. I think that even deploying it uh, is going to give you a really good understanding of service meshes and how microservices work. So if you're not a microservices person today and a Kubernetes person today, this is a good one to get your feet wet. It definitely is, Justin, and I played a little bit around it over the last days. So we have been able now to use Clarity to get monitoring capabilities of our API traffic hitting our web application firewalls. So I've been able, at least so far, I was able to identify the ports APIs were hitting us. Now at least I get some insights into what kind of API calls are hitting our websites. And to answer pretty much Zoe's question from before, my take on it is now I get the understanding which APIs are hitting us and I want to later on use the WAF functionality to do the blocking of the API calls which are not compliant. So that's how I see the two products uh, work together. Um, if I were somebody that wanted to, you know, work on it, you've said obviously it's open source, it's on GitHub. Um, is there any, I guess, is there a level of understanding that I need? Obviously, you'd have to test it. I'm I'm asking this more of, a, you know, maybe somebody's listening and they'd want to start working with it and kind of tailoring it to their use cases. What would you recommend they start with? So I definitely recommend they start with the website. So apiclarity.io, which has a link to GitHub. Uh, and we have an installation readme that is very, very good in GitHub. Um, my team and I have been working on, while well, the developer team has been working on developing the code, uh, my team and I have been working on the readme. I, sound, I know that sounds weird to say I, I've been helping on the readme, but it's super important that this is easy and that when you go through the readme and type the commands that everything installs the way you expect. And I can tell you that it does because we've sort of pounded through that readme one by one to make sure that that will work for you right down to things like, you know, don't forget you need to clone the repository before you run this command. All right. So for those of you who are beginners, uh, we've made sure that it is easy enough that if you have a cluster running that you should be able to just type those commands and it should just work out of the box very easily. So we understand that not everybody is uh, a microservice expert, you know, um, a service mesh expert, but you want to try it. And that's what we're trying to do is make it as easy as possible. And again, you can watch the video if you want that will make it even easier to the point where if you don't even know how to build a Kubernetes cluster, I show you how to do that with an automation tool. So you don't even have to build a cluster if you don't want to. So I have a question about... Uh the use cases and actors that might be interested in this. Uh, I, I certainly see uh, ISOs and compliance uh, folks and developers. Is it possible to even develop templates to, I mean, to validate not just the API standard compliance, but being able to do compliance uh, more specifically for things like PCI, HIPAA, I mean, some of the re uh, regulatory? 
That's a really good question. Without knowing, you know, HIPAA and those types of regulations are complex. I think that a tool like this could assist with that. Because we're watching what's going on, I don't have an exact answer about how you could or what specification would be used to ensure that that's happening. Um, but I think that that's a good future thought for sure. Um, one of the big ones could be things like data uh, sovereignty or data regionality, right? Um, is an API being used to query a piece of data over here by something over here and that would cause it to cross a geo, right? That's something we've thought about a lot uh, at Cisco. And that's definitely a situation uh, that you would you might want to watch for. And I suppose it could be used to do that. It, it's all, it all depends very much on, on the specification. Um, so I guess the, the long answer is, yeah, it probably could be used for that. Um, although I don't know that that's a use case we've talked about yet. It just seems like the, the more visibility we now have into microservices and Kubernetes, the, the black hole it used to be seems to be shrinking slowly. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants applications that they don't see uh, and, and understand, right? And as the applications get large, they get larger than what our brains can handle, right? We, we, can't, we can't wrap our heads around these as much as we used to. So we need something to help distill it down and to tell us what to look at. So that's why, that's why we have a tool like that is to make it easier for you. I mean, if you, have, if you think about the number of pods, right? If you had so many instances of something that's heavily load balanced, I mean, for you to be able to troubleshoot that is going to be really, really difficult where we can look at all those calls and just tell you what to look at, tell you where to go. It's also, I think, huge in the, I mean, in the context of CI and CD and DevOps, right? Because potentially, I mean, you're rolling out code uh, throughout multiple times per day. Yeah, it could be. Uh, and if somebody starts using an API the way they're not supposed to or the way you're not expecting, you're gonna you're gonna get a call out on that pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, it looks. I mean, obviously, from a security perspective, I want to simplify things because that's how I keep things secure. I simplify it. I you know, clarify it, <laughs> clarify, <laughs> and I make it more um, understandable so that you can use it securely. So from my perspective, it's actually working in the way of taking something quite complex that people don't necessarily understand and going too quickly for us to really be able to say this is, you know, minute by minute what's going on to actually demystifying it. And I'm trying to say clarify it without using clarity. <laughs> Make sense of it so that um, you can actually track it uh, a lot more effectively. So that, yeah, no, I see many use cases, especially obviously from a security perspective. Anything that simplifies things is going to be beneficial. So Justin, do you have any any use cases? Like, you know, I'm sure you've heard about some like, you know, really interesting ones from uh, clients and the users. So do you have any sort of the cool use cases where this has been used? Well, so I'll admit because it's only been released, we've only really started talking about it maybe a month ago publicly. So not a lot of people have used it yet. I will, mm -hmm. I, I will openly admit that the most interesting use case to date is definitely Mark's use case um, <laughs> in regards to web application firewall, uh, which when I heard about and mentioned to the developer team, they were rather excited to hear that this cool security thing is being used to track this cool security thing. So we thought that was very interesting, by the way. So that probably is the most useful use case so far. That said, um, on the the e-commerce piece of it, seems to be the one that is getting a lot of 
traction. So people that are wanting to track API use across e-commerce applications is where we really started out um, talking to customers and they thought it was sort of really good for that. Um, specifically when you have a component or sorry, an application that's built of multiple components and you want to be able to track what's going on. So that's where we see a lot of people really interested is when you have a very complex microservice where, you know, maybe you have a database and a payment gateway and a catalog database and this and that, and all these little application containers, and you want to watch what's going on between all of them. And one last question for me. So like I think Zoe mentioned the integration and all this like interesting stuff. So that's the API clarity heavy API. So uh, we would be able to like extract the information, uh, et cetera. From the actual, like extract the information from the database. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if I want to so, sort of like, you know, pull the information from the API clarity into some of my tools, uh, am I able to do it for the APIs or something? Um specifically i don't know that we've documented how you could do that i mean that being said it's a uh, our front end so the front end that's running the api clarity front end it's querying the database on the back end um, i see no reason why you couldn't um, look at how we're doing it and do it the same way uh, and and pull the events out of the database um, but we haven't published an api to do that yet that being said it is all open source uh so you could probably you could do it for sure uh, i'm just not I'm just not sure how right off the top of my head. Sorry if that's not the answer you're looking for. But... So, Justin, what is, you think, the most exciting thing from your perspective about this product, that, like the, 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 your favorite capability or outcome? I think it's the visibility that it's giving us to this stuff that we used to be really afraid of. And, and you know, people roll out microservices that they get from Docker Hub or they they. You know, they install some Helm chart that has some big application that they want to use and they don't know how they're com communicating between them. And for a lot of people, that that's scary. And I think that the big breakthrough here is this very small, very lightweight, simple tool that is easy to install by just about anybody can be injected into the service mesh for this thing you deployed. And now you get visibility you didn't have yesterday without a big lift. That for me is the big thing you don't have to go through a big process of trying to integrate all sorts of stuff. It, it literally installs and it's ready to go. I would actually upgrade that from big to, I mean, that's a huge thing. Yeah, it gives a lot of uh, understanding to what's going on. All right. Well, this has been another phenomenal episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Thank you for listening in and joining us today. If you want to learn more about API Clarity, uh, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit or softly click on that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.